Hey everybody, today I'm sitting down with Gabriel Dunn, an interactive multimedia artist and code wizard who's been a staple of the Bay Area new media art scene for more than a decade. He's one of the original members of the Ooh Shiny list, a gathering place and discussion forum for some of the most prolific new media artists worldwide. This group is actually how I tapped into our community here in the Bay, and it's one of my favorite resources to find people doing interesting things with technology. I met Gabe through a good friend of mine, Joe T. Dollywall, in 2018, and we connected over our mutual love of interactive art. His interests run the gamut, but he's a very accomplished coder. He worked for Obscura for a couple years, as well as doing solo and freelance projects. His knowledge of touch designer is deep, and he has a rich portfolio of artworks. Gabriel's a very cool and connected guy, and our conversation is great. Take a listen. I guess we'll start out with how we met each other, which was through Joe T. Yeah. Right? It was like back in 2017. Yeah. What was that? We were working on a project? Was there a pitch or something? Or? No, I think she was just like, hey, you guys out. are similar, similar people, similar yeah. characters working on similar things. Yeah, and that's when I lived right down the street, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I came by and you had like, your whole place was like flooded and you're trying to deal with your landlord. Oh man, that was during that period. Yeah. Dude, what a clusterfuck. However, that flood really was a, you know, we got all brand new hardwood yeah. floors. And <laughs> we got a lot of upgrades out of that flood. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, that was a very uh, beneficial flood. But uh, yeah, that's, I totally forgot about that. That was, that was 2017. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I don't think we were working on projects. No. And it was just like, hey, let's hang out. And I don't like, think we have worked together. I don't think so either. No. We've almost worked together. Almost. Many times. Yeah. A couple That's funny. times. <laughs> yeah. That's how it goes though, man. Uh-huh. You know, you throw like a whole bunch of shit against the wall and see what sticks. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> next yeah. pitch. Yeah. So you just moved out to, uh, to Marin. Uh-huh. And you had a studio down here. I did, yeah. It was down in Emeryville, mm-hmm. right? And um, did it have a name? It was just like... Uh, we called it studio space. Studio it space. It was just like a generic term, but it was a you know modular studio that was used for all sorts of stuff. Because um, that was like your de facto gallery. Yeah, we had a gallery. Uh, we had a... It was also a space that we ran events. Um, I had a music studio in there. I recorded a few albums in there. Um, it was also just a workspace, shared workspace. Um, I always forget that you're a musician. Mm-hmm. You know, I was looking at your... your uh, bio earlier just to like you know take notes or whatever and um i was noticing that all of your early projects are uh they're like interactive musical instruments Mm -hmm. basically that's right yeah that's pretty yeah music is my i would say my core art that's closest to my heart like that's my if i would if i were to you know that that's really actually what i'm focusing on this year mostly my my eyes are uh tired yeah that makes sense i think that the uh the more the more i stare at leds the more i hate leds yesterday uh last year at the burn i was just like but not last year the year before i was just like you know what if i never saw another led in my life that would be totally fine Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh yeah i mean you gotta switch it up every once in a while yeah i mean i think that that yeah switching it up is is um you know, I consider myself a generalist, so I'm always really switching it up. I'm always connecting the dots between two things yeah. um, or multiple things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, even if I were to be, you know, making, say, visual art, I would always be linking it to some other sense or some other way of making. Um, they always seem to 
be rooted in architecture and space, form, and time, which is like really basic, you know, elements. They're almost like elemental. So mm-hmm. um, with sound, um, I'm not so much, I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm active in all sorts of sound and music making. Um, and, uh, but what, what really allows me uh, a lot of fun is when I'm exploring multi-channel architectural space in sound and like well, you what were that trained means. as an architect i wasn't trained i mean I, I i took you know courses in architect i'm not licensed i'm not i'm not an architect no but you but went to school for it that yeah. was my first that was that was the thing i wanted to be i was thinking, when i grew up yeah yeah man it, so many people in the new media art scene are architects or mm-hmm. have a background in architecture or are architects who like ejected from architecture and started to like build mm-hmm. crazy stuff yeah, I mean, on as far as like building things, um, that that's also you know something I've always been doing. My grandpa was an architect; he was an engineer. He actually went to MIT. Oh wow! And um, you know, I really admired everything he did. He built his house, and you know, this type of thing. So like that that sort of mentality of building everything was definitely carried on. Um, and I, I, you know, I think about him <laughs> whenever I'm building something yeah. about how you know his, you know, quality the 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 expectation of quality. And uh, care, you know, craft uh, down to everything, down to down to you know the the base level of any project is something I think about. It's funny how the you know it's like physical physically building something is considered almost like blue collar. However, it's so satisfying. You know, there's like two phases to the the work that that we do. It's like there's design and engineering, and then there's building it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when I have my hands like you know, elbow deep in like some circuit and I'm soldering everything together and I finally get it to work or when there's like this weird problem and it just, it's like a brain key. There's something intrinsically satisfying about building things with your hands well. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But it's that, that whole like, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years or 20 years and it's, it's honing a craft. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you get that in, in code, I don't really code. You know, I'm, I do lighting design, which is like kind of coding, but kind of not. But it's it's a different thing. Hmm. You know, it's like a hand skill hmm. has like a different kind of satisfaction. Yeah, comparing to code, I, there's some similarities in maybe approach, but code is definitely ephemeral. Um, you know, things change, hardware changes, and the things that the code the actual, you know, devices that the code is running on can change. Um, but you can still produce beautiful code, right? You can, you can. Um, you know, it might be beautiful mainly to another developer. Yeah. No one's going to see that. Well, you hear that a lot. You yeah. see that, like, on the, on the forums. Oh, yeah. I mean, someone that I work with, I've been working with for over, oh, God, 15 years now, um, is... Brian Alexander, he's a someone we have a we have a studio together, and he's someone that I've made so much software with. Uh, in fact, he's a person that I actually met through his code before I met him in real life. Yeah. So, and he, he his his approach is very eclectic. He's an artist, you know. He's he's uh, does it does things in a way that are very you know, it's an original way of, of working, and. Um, you know, not classically computer science trained, you know, he, but 
he is someone that I we've we've learned from each other, and I think that that is that's the way that I learn. Um, my favorite way of learning is to to work alongside somebody and see how they do it and then integrate. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like if you're if you're learning how to skateboard, the only way really to learn how to skateboard for real is just to hang out with skaters that are better than you. That's like that's how a you do. Great it. analogy. Um, you there's no way you can look in a book how to skate. There's no way you can you know read about it or or even you know self-teach you can you can you can you can be autodidactic on, on for some things but really like i think that you learn a lot of learning is really kind of this osmosis where you're just hanging around somebody and you're getting their philosophy yeah and approach and you know it's 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 a group you know effort you know when you're creating these things a lot of code is like that because you're collaborating so much you're, you're doing a lot of reading you know, and you're doing a lot of uh, learning about your communication skills when something's wrong. So, like, if you see some code that could be better or you don't understand the code, it takes a lot of courage to admit that you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And you, you want to ask somebody, hey, is this, is this the best way to do this? Or, or am I doing this wrong? Um, or when you're reading somebody's code, you're in a code review and you, you, you notice something that could be done in a different way. It's really important to to learn those skills to even communicate and have a critique about why something is a certain way and being able to articulate yourself. These are these are things that happen. So back to the ephemeral ephemerality of it, it's it's really about communication. I mean, you're communicating to your to your people that you're working with, and you're also communicating, you know, really to the computer. Um, so it's kind of a collab. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a language, right? I mean, yeah, it is a language, and there's 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 you know there's more to it than 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 just you know. There's many, you know, you might be writing the same programming language. You, let's say, you know, you're writing C++, but you, you might encounter someone who writes completely different than you in the same language. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a bit like prose. In, yeah. And when you're writing uh, in, in a uh, spoken language. Yeah. You know, or, uh, yeah. Um, are most or math. Of, are most know? of your, your projects collaborative or are they? Uh, the majority of my projects are collaborative. Yeah. The majority. Um, I... My solo stuff, you've probably only seen maybe like 5% of everything that I've done on my own because I just kind of hold everything yeah. uh, until the perfect time to release, which is apparently never. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I um, yeah, I love collaborating. I, I love bringing people together and working with people and, and leveling people up, leveling myself up. Yeah. You know, that, that's just, you know, the, the rising tides yeah. rises all ships. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it was interesting. I was looking at your uh, your bio, and it's um, it's a really interesting, like path that that you took to becoming. Uh, would you call yourself a professional artist? At this time in my life, um, I could say that, but I would I would probably say designer. Um, because I haven't really engaged with the commercial art scene as a profession. Really? Um, I thought you were doing mostly galleries. I was, but I wouldn't say I was making my money from that. So, you know... I, I, <laughs> that gets into the discussion, what is professional? Yeah. Like, what does that word mean? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I, 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 I've always sort of had the in the back pocket the ability to take freelance work in kind of underground, under-the-radar you know, 
jobs almost like you know i'm really good at jumping into a to a, to a project where maybe it's kind of a rat's nest and i have yeah. to figure out what's going on I'm yeah, re- yeah. I'm re- I, actually that's my zen yeah uh, i don't get flustered very easily uh with that kind of work um in fact it gives me kind of a solace to know that i'm not expected to be creative in the and in, in the result of what i'm doing so therefore i'm very interested in like logistics and architecture of yeah. systems so well, it's almost a relief right when it's it like, is you don't have to be like oh is my idea okay or you, oh, know, God, you don't have yeah. to when you're making art for yourself you can just kind of spit things out and it doesn't really matter because it's for you but if you're making That's art right. for a client then all of a sudden it's like you start to second guess yourself which ruins the, the artistic process yeah, it's... Um, well, I do anyway. No, I'm it's... Like, oh, your, is this going to... Is my client going to like this? You're it's right. Like, I mean, client... When you're... That, 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 that to me... Door. Yeah, for sure. You know, that to me... Um, it's a pretty defining moment when I knew... When I, when I knew what was expected um, as a visual artist or designer in a, in a professional sense. Um, you know, like you said, when you're working with a client, you're working with someone else's expectation of what is done. That can be actually a relief as well on some level, creatively. Um, you basically, it's again about communicating the needs of the client. You know, oh, does this look good? Do you like that color? Like yeah, that yeah, shape? Yeah. Uh, when, I, when I was, you know, earlier in my career out of school, um, I worked in CG. I was doing animation. And... Um, I wanted to ask you about that. But yeah, ahead. yeah. Well, yeah. Just, just to finish that thought, it's... it's uh, there's that divide when I knew when I, when I realized how much I didn't mind doing the systems architecture of, of, of digital work or, 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 you know, coding or, or computer work like this, when I knew I was good at that, I began to just not be in the, the front end of, of these projects. Um, that to me was a really like a, a huge relief and allowed me to it freed up a huge amount of space in my in my process. Yeah, I saved all that for myself. Yeah, um, and then you know I kind of like up uh, my chops got 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 good at you know I, I you know databases networking um, any sort of infrastructure or installation were kind of like that that was that. Was, I could handle that, you know, systems architecture. So see, I feel, I feel, I understand what you're saying. Because <laughs> I, I also, you know, we do a lot of like technical work where we're implementing somebody else's vision. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, um, it's clear cut because it either works or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the object of the game is to, is to make it function. Yeah. And that, that's a lot easier and less objective. There's a lot less. Yeah, it either works or it. I mean, if it doesn't work, you got more work to do. Right, exactly. But it doesn't necessarily need to look to the client. They don't know. If we're talking specifically about client work here, this is what we're talking about. Then, then you know, um, you can go back and forth with revisions. You know, for endlessly with front end with the front. We call it the front end. You know, yeah. The 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 thing the client sees because the job can never be done. Endless. Yeah. Keep me as far away from that as possible. Right. <laughs> unless unless i'm you know I, I actually you know earlier in my design career i i was doing a lot of print and identity work i, I actually really liked that that was good at that time print work yeah yeah I was doing that print design 
uh, typography, logo, design. That was some of my first stuff when I was doing, you know. Um, yeah, one of my first jobs was working at Kinko's back in the day. Are you serious? Remember Kinko's? Hey, man, Radio Shack. Right oh, there. hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know the drum. Oh, yeah. But Radio Shack is still around, right? Kinko's isn't. No. Actually, it's FedEx no, now, right? No, it's the other way around. Oh, it is? Kinko's oh. is definitely around. It's oh, it FedEx is? FedEx Kinko's. FedEx Kinko's. And uh, Radio Shack, I'm pretty sure they went out of business. Yeah. Pretty sure. Well, one of my one of it's my company, anyway, one of my defining well, I, I grew up in the Bay Area, and uh, yeah, Kinko San Rafael, and I remember doing like post. I, re- I remember working. Uh, a lot of bands used to come in because back back in the day, like that's where you did all your your bands uh, posters and stuff. Oh yeah, I was like, so, you guys played at Kinko's? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I remember you know working with. I remember meeting uh, Toady, the drummer for Primus. Yeah. Yeah, on a side project, for example. I remember like just talking to these local bands and just seeing what they're up to. Yeah, you get to see the whole schedule of the local band scene. Yeah. Uh, everyone's printing their posters and stuff. So That's hilarious. The, the punk scene, which is what I was into, punk and metal and thrash and these kind of, you know, this kind of scene. Um, it was central. Kinko's was central to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Community-wise, yeah. And then it kind of went away when, you know, computing became more ubiquitous. You remember back, back in those times, people used to come in and just use the computers for eBay and stuff. Yeah. yeah like, Isn't it funny that yeah. eBay has been around for that long? <laughs> yeah. Like eBay, it's like AOL, eBay. Yeah. And like, you know, eBay was one of the first big sites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you grew up in San Rafael? No, I, I was born in San Francisco. In San Francisco? Yeah, and my folks, uh, very shortly after I was born, they moved to Marin, where they're, where they're still at. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I've lived all around the Bay. I've lived in San Francisco. East Bay, North Bay. So, you know, I ended up out here because I was really into the VJ scene. Mm-hmm. And this is like the birthplace of VJing. Hmm. Do, do you know like any of that history? Like the early VJing history of San Francisco? Not, no, I, I, not much. Toshi Who no. was part of it. Man. Well, hmm. he was, he moved here as a VJ yeah. and content creator, graphic designer. Yeah, my, as my, part of that scene. yeah, the, as far Grant as that. Davis, Grant Davis was another key figure in the San Francisco early VJ scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, my, my history is more coming from film. My dad was an experimental filmmaker, still is, and he used to do a lot of different compositing techniques. Um, you know, three-layer compositing with, like, optical printers. I remember, you know, some of my earliest memories are, like, smelling the chemicals used to clean the film. You know, he used to put me on the reels, and, like, I would clean wow. like, 8mm, 60mm film because he had a video transfer, or film-to-video transfer business yeah um so i was very much around film and special effects you know ilm lucasfilm all these companies pixar these types of um companies are around here and you know a very early on was in to animation and, and cg um do you remember the video toaster yeah on the amiga yeah yeah so my dad was very much into the amiga he had a bunch of Amigas, and the games and music on those were amazing. Some of the mod trackers and some of the music, Bars and Pipes was a MIDI program on Amiga. It was just, like, incredible. And before that, I actually had a Commodore 64, which had another uh, MIDI program on it, too. And um, used to hook up, like, synthesizers to the Commodore 64 and, like, kind of play music. Uh, so brothers. Yeah, yeah, I loved that stuff. So music, and, and, and very much, like, I have to give a lot of credit, or all the credit to my dad for exposing me and... Um, influencing my philosophy when it comes to computing, um, especially around the Amiga and the Commodore, which 
the approach of computing with those computers was was about creativity. It was about breaking it, about doing things with it and making a result happen, you know, making a creative result happen, be it an animation, music, a still frame, or, you know, I was using animation programs like Deluxe Paint. And, uh, Is that where you learned to code? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, there was a game creator in BASIC called Amos 3D, which is a video game creator. And that was really fun. I started poking around the demos. It comes with a bunch of small little demos that I could just like change a few variables here and there and see what happened. Yeah. Um, at my school, they had an old Mac with, you know, the turtle, turtle graph, you know, where you're kind of like you're telling a turtle to move around like a plotter. I remember that. Um, my dad, I had an old digitizer, which is actually these days you would just say it's a digital camera. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it was a digitizer where you had to stay really still. It's kind of like, you know, it would, it would, it would, scan, it would wow. do a line scan of the scene. Man, that's like yeah. early photography, right? Uh, well, it's digital, but yeah. No, I mean, but it's similar. It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, similar. So, um, yeah, but with the with the video toaster, the, the thing that really blew off the doors for me was um, Lightwave 3D, which was that 3D uh, CG animation software, which is still around. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think I, I, I know it as mm-hmm. a piece of software, but I didn't know I had it or its origins on the video toaster. Yeah, it came with the video toaster. It was bundled with it. And what, what did you do with that? Um, like 3D well, animation. I just learned modeling. Um, learned um, all about, you know, there was, there was new technology that was coming out, NURBS, um, uh, by, you know, Ed Catmull and that whole crew with Pixar. You know, all, these, all, this, all this new technology was happening with, with modeling. Subdivision like surfaces. Early 2000s or late 90s? Late 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I would make animations. And my dad was, was really uh, helpful and influential with that. You know, we would set it to music and then we would learn how to, ex- I would learn how to export it and submit it to like, you know, film festivals or animation festivals and try to try to like get people to see my stuff, whatever it was. You know, I, I would, I, I, don't, I don't remember what I was making. Well, I, I mean, some of it was like, oh, there's like a displacement mapped canyon and there's a, something flying through it, you know, like a, a view moving through the canyon or something like that. And it's, it's set to music. Um, and, um, 3D generated terrains, man. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like the, that's like the the mainstay. And then you know, just following what film was doing at the time, uh, James Cameron's Abyss uh, was a big moment. Seeing like what was happening with CG, it's like oh my god. Oh, the that, water. Yeah, feature. yeah. It's oh, like man. oh my god, they're doing CG in movies. Yeah, like, like yeah. this, like and then Terminator Two um, was huge. As far as that that was kind of a, that was nineteen ninety one. I was gonna say yeah. they were doing CG animation or at least computer graphics absolutely. in movies back in the eighties. Absolutely, absolutely. But to have that accessibility as a kid, yeah, um, yeah, 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 was just like you know, I was thirteen, fourteen, doing this, and I was like, oh my gosh, like I can do this. I mean, granted, the renders took like eight hours a frame. Sure, but uh, <laughs> and they're like six forty, four eighty. You know, that's what taught me patience. Like for me, that's uh, well, it's know, like cooking. It's like it baking, is. right? I was like, oh, got a render in the oven. Well, it also changes the whole artistic process because mm-hmm. instead of now everything's real time, so mm-hmm. it's like you see it, you can change it on the fly. It's almost like digital photography, mm-hmm. where it's like it's a different art form than it used to be when you had to develop your film. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, you know, you take all these shots and you have to be careful because you know that every click is an investment of time and money to develop that. Where it's if, with a digital camera, you're just like, you yeah, shoot everything. And, it's true. I mean, in, in graphics, um, it's incredible some of the real-time rendering pipelines that are happening now in comparison to back then. And something that you know you really get exposed to when you have a, 
a 7 or a 14 megahertz processor um, working with like a graphics coprocessor with these you know older systems is that you really had to optimize what you're working on you had to know like oh I can't do 4x anti-aliasing that's going to add two hours per frame I need yeah. to do 1.5x or 2x and I'll be fine with that or like or turn off anti-aliasing and do it in post do a little blur because right. I can't run the time to do this and no one's really care you know oh you want motion blur forget it it teaches know? you efficiency yeah you you begin to understand the stack yeah um so so much of computing these days is obscured and i yeah, think, I, I think, I think it's, uh, it's black boxed so it's because it's it's in the evolution of computing is like an iterative process and uh the further away you get from the base of the mountain the less you need to see what's down there mm-hmm. um but yeah, real-time rendering now is crazy. It's like everything's a game engine. Mm-hmm. You know, the systems that we use to do pixel and projection mapping, mm-hmm. it's like a game engine. Mm-hmm. You know, you just make things and play with particle effects and it all happens in real-time. Lighting, and, it's yep. incredible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, there's, yeah, if only, um, yeah, now, now, the, now the impetus is to make, you know, good stuff. You have no limits. You really don't have any limitations hardware-wise. <laughs> just make the good stuff. You got it. You got everything you can yeah. everything this is true <laughs> i mean well the, the the you know the the, the water table is rising mm-hmm. which is good um but not all art made at that level is good <laughs> you know it's, it still comes down to a story right it's like all oh, art yeah. all art is about the, the concept and the story and uh there's still a lot of shitty storytellers man mm. <laughs> yeah i mean art is something that makes you feel something and yeah. uh there's a lot of ways to make to make work these days almost too many ways and the limitations do do breed a certain kind of creativity you know a lot of i think reasons i i i i taught myself certain things was because there was a boundary that i couldn't cross or mm-hmm. I, had, I had to figure something out and that was part of my process is learning how to do something well, you have to learn a technical skill mm-hmm. to its fullest so that it, the technical element kind of disappears then you can be artistic. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I feel like the beginning, for me anyway, the beginning of uh, like my artistic journey was just figuring out the tools. Mm. And the tools were always kind of in the way and it was more like experimenting with tools. And now that I understand those tools, the the technicality of that is out of the way so I can just focus on my story, mm-hmm. right? It's like, what are you actually trying to say and it's not so much like, oh, look, I can like do this nifty trick with this tool. It's like, now that we know all the tricks, we know like a bunch of nifty tricks, mm-hmm. what can we say with those tricks mm-hmm. that is meaningful or like applicable? Yeah. It's an integration, you know? I mean, knowledge is, is largely, there's a quantifiable, you know, you can quantify quantify knowledge as like a list of things you might know Mm. but real knowledge is when you can integrate these things you know and know when to not do something yeah it's really important right maybe yeah yeah Yeah. and those two terms are really really interesting Mm because they're they're kind of used interchangeably but they're very different things Mm -hmm. when you think about it it's like okay you know know when somebody's like like a wise person versus just a smart person (laughs) (laughs) do you know what I mean yeah um yeah, I think um, creativity is also knowing which tools, 
you know, not necessarily using the tools you might know. You might, you might need to, to brand, you need to always be aware that there might be some other way of doing something. Or if you're using the tools that you do know, um, keeping your, your, your whole system in view, really, it's really easy to get myopic with, with these like subsystems. Oh yeah. And like uh, fall into the rabbit hole. Of, yeah. Like, really easy. Especially yeah. when you're working on a project yourself. That's actually a part of the reason I love collaboration. You always have kind of a, a moment with your, your crew, be it either one partner or, you know, a team where you can kind of, everyone needs to pull back and say, what are we working on again? Yeah. <laughs> like, why well, do we need to do danger. this? That's the yeah. danger of having, um, mm-hmm. I think that's a metaphor for actually where we're at as a world too. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think I feel like now, I don't know if it's my maturity level or where I am in my career or if it's where I am physically in this in the Bay Area, but um, I found that when I was back east, uh, the the digital artists that I met were much more prone to be stuck in that rabbit hole of like. Like, oh, look what I can do with, like, you know, Max MSP. And it's like, oh, that's a really nifty trick, but it looks, like, it doesn't look good. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like out here, there's a lot more artists who are actually making beautiful things with these, you know, like, yourself. is You're a prime example of somebody who is very much into the touch designer. (laughs) You know, that is, like, you are live and breathe touch designer. Well, maybe, but... Lately, well, you're a you're a power user, of designer, <laughs> uh-huh. but you still keep the high level focus, and I think that the, I see that way more now than I did, mm. and I don't know if that's because the people like these tools are maturing, so the people who are using them are maturing as well, and it's just like mm. here we are now in our thirties, and it's like, mm. you know, we're not we're not like twenty one just discovering this like enormous toolbox anymore. Yeah, well, it's kind of like. Let's say you have a saw and you're in a wood shop. It's like, wow, you're making a lot of cuts there, dude. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. Where's your one cut that you need to make? Right. Just make one cut. Right. Well, see, that's where that's where <laughs> measure mastery of the art. <laughs> right. It's about nuance and subtlety, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's like the mark of a good artist is not necessarily an artist who like uses all the paint on all the places, <laughs> but it's the artist who is making subtle, careful brush strokes where they need to be made Mm. and i you know for me i see that like i am a light artist and Mm. i see shitty shitty lighting design everywhere i go (laughs) i'm just like you know you don't need to use all the lights all the time Mm -hmm. and all the colors it's like what are you trying to say Mm -hmm. and that's the you know yeah i mean you mentioned touch designer and that software is really special because it free when I, when I when I learned about it um, I was working at Obscura Digital at the time and Mary Frank was someone who turned me on to that oh, she's a badass yeah man. I want to do an episode with her too definitely <laughs> definitely um, she really turned me on to that software uh, a lot of the work I was doing with real-time graphics was based on um, either kind of bespoke OpenGL toolkits that I was that I was kind of mashing together from you know various people or or projects or you know there's always processing um, and then touch designer to me is taking care of a lot of the stuff that's really really hard which is like multi-channel video displays I don't want to have to program that 
Like, why, why am right. I programming that? Right. <laughs> input and output. And any sort of, like, basic um, texturing or, or video playback. I don't want to program a video player anymore. I don't need to. If you right. have something like touch design, just, okay, plug it in. Um, you know, at the time, when I first learned Touch Designer, I actually didn't learn it as a high-end or a, a top-level um, user, like top-down, like using all the nodes and these other things. I was actually learning Touch Designer because I had to write custom plugins for it. So once I... Oh, interesting. So you were you were creating nodes yeah, for Touch. That was the first thing I did. Ah. And so it actually gave me a exposure to basically how touch was interacting uh with itself and i learned a lot that way too it was like oh okay okay we're, we're passing stuff through and modifying it and sending it out and that's easy yeah. great i don't have to write that again <laughs> and then you know it, it saves me a lot of space in my in my process to not have to write like functional code and i don't want to write that code my, my code for that is crap i don't need to write that well i mean I, I completely understand. Yeah. You know, it's like if I had to make LED controllers from scratch. Yeah. It's like okay, well, that's been solved. Mm -hmm. Let's let's move on to the next plateau or the next level on this mountain. Right? Yeah. The, the next like step on this the staircase. Yeah. And the, we can stand on what's been built. That's that's definitely right. Uh, the first big project I did with Touch Designer was in 2012, and it was actually in. India um, with a dear friend and collaborator Vishal K. Dar, an artist um, who I met when we were both at UCLA and uh, we had this opportunity with a abandoned factory kind of in the heart of Delhi to do a light installation or a sculpture we didn't really know what we were doing at the time we kind of just had the opportunity and touch designer was something that I used and I'm so glad I did because so much of it was just done kind of on the ground in the dirt, you know, getting it to work. And what do you mean? Like literally in the dirt? Was it like, like literally my computer is sitting on, in the dirt. Okay, on the yeah, dirt yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm on the ground with my mouse, like on the dirt. I just want to complete, I want to have a complete yeah. mental picture here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, yeah, I'm not, yeah, not, it's not a metaphor. I'm literally, we're, we're in this space that um, was essentially a concrete box and um, working on a lighting and sculpture installation. And we, this piece, we didn't know what we wanted to create when we started it, but um, it kind of, you know, <laughs> came to being manifested as we were working on it. Um, and... Uh, after it was done and I had managed to do a two channel map of, of light on this, on this custom sculpture, um, with like some hacked together warping, uh, optical, uh, alignment software that I kind of hacked together. Uh, this is before, projection or... yeah, it's projection. Yeah. It was like a map mapping piece. Yeah. This is before I learned about using open CV and all these like fancy tools, um, or just techniques, you know, like, you know, I don't, I don't know. And, uh, so I'm to kind of do it manually. And masking, you know, I'm like I'm like, you know, hand painting masks and stuff like that, and just just the the allowance and freedom of using um, a software that that is designed to be modular like that, you know, you begin to um, 
or I begin to, to really um, respect and, and be grateful for the, all the work that so many people put into the software like this. And it's like, of course, someone use that software. Like, it's saving me so much headache right now. Like, it, it, you know, the, these are the reasons that we, we, we use this, these, these softwares. Uh, we don't need to be spending our time designing that kind of software. We want to be working using it. You have to you know? understand how it works yeah. and how, yeah. how it's built. And then once you, once you understand, then it, yeah, it's just another tool to allow you to focus on the art that you're, you know, what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's cool to see touch designer mature into like, there are careers in touch designer <laughs> programming now. There mm-hmm. are, I mean, you know, some of my friends are, in the process of learning touch designer, you know, my, my younger friends, not, not necessarily just younger friends. Some of my friends are transitioning into that world because there's opportunities to work for companies who want touch designer developers. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've used it in really crazy ways. Um, I did a, an art piece or a, a performance piece with, um, my good friend, Colin Miller. We did a, an audiovisual performance, and um, I we developed a physics engine based on a NVIDIA uh, GPU accelerated engine using as many particles as I could I could I could do. And I want what I wanted to do was sonify the, the, in, the in, basically the intersections of these particles with, with shapes. Oh, cool! So we're going backwards. We're we're making a synthesizer out of graphics, right? Oh, interesting. So when the particles collided, they we would generate would trigger, sound. Well, they triggered an analog synthesizer. Oh, cool. So we did a spatialized analog uh, synthesizer. We, we played that three times. And then one time we debuted it at Gray Area. We did it at another event um, called Finite, which is uh, an event that Colin runs. And then we also played it at the Exploratorium, which is a 108-channel surround system. Um but touch designer in that case was was actually used headless because the the graphics were largely taken care of. I was running them, you know, in a native application, and so literally I was coding uh, in that application to send the particle intersections to touch designer. I used OSC uh-huh. and then used touch designer to route back to audio. Okay, so it was just a router. Yeah, you know, I've that's kind of a very useful way to use touch. Yeah, man. it's it's headless though. There's no out, there's no visual output there. So I'm just using it as a mixer, really. I call it a mixer. It's like my, it's like the ultimate software mixer. Yeah. Or well, not it's, ultimate, it's, but it's, it's very useful. It's it's <laughs> routing control protocol. Routing, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I used, yeah. Plug used to play. use Max MSP that way. Mm-hmm. You know, just use it to route route control protocol. Mm-hmm. There was this group called uh, Control Freaks, hmm. right, back in the day. And um, when I was doing concert touring, they would have these, these little Mac mini boxes. Mm-hmm. And they had developed a Max MSP patch that was like a protocol Swiss army knife and it would allow um, video playback units to talk to the lighting console and the lighting console to talk to pyro, you know, triggering machines. And it was a, it was like a hub for control protocol. And Mm -hmm. that's how I I discovered max MSP. And I was just like, Oh wow, this is super, super cool. This allows all machines to talk to all other machines. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I wasn't using it for like graphics or or lighting or anything. I was just using it for for control protocol. Yeah. But um. Yeah, pure data is another one that I use a lot. Um, just patching, you know, patching here to there. 
really, really useful. Yeah. Yeah. So you used to work for, um, what was a company in LA that you worked for? It's like a, like a motion graphics company. Yeah. They were called motion theory at the time. And I believe that the company morphed into what's called Murata these days. So I read this thing that Guillermo, that Guillermo del Toro yes. was part of the founding of Murata. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's crazy, man. Were yeah. you part of it at that time? No, I was pre-Murata. I think uh, I was there like early 2000s. Wow. Yeah. So the projects that I worked on were mostly music videos and commercials. Yeah. So I did music videos for... Uh, uh, worked on music videos for Beck, like um, we did music videos for like The Used and I don't know, let me think, Papa Roach. I think we did a video, um, and uh, yeah, music videos. Uh, Matt Cullen and Javier Jimenez uh, were the the partners at that time. I think they're both obviously still with Murado. Um, Matt Cullen, different than Cullen. Yeah. 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 Yeah, another, another Colin. Um, I just, like, learned so much from both of them. Uh, Javier for, you know, the business acumen and just keeping the ship running. And Matt was so meticulous and cared so much about what he did. It was mind-blowing. I remember him talking... I remember him talking me off the edge so many times when we were just working and just, like... You know, just think... I mean, just the, the lifestyle of working as a contractor in that industry is brutal. Um, oh, yeah, man. You're working, like you know, 12, 15 hour days and everybody in that industry wants to be there because they care about it so much. And Matt was just like, show, he, he proved it mm-hmm. like on full on hundred percent, super positive. Like you that, still in touch with him? Um, I, I, I haven't talked to him in a little bit. I should, I should say hi. Yeah, man. My, yeah. It's funny because when I moved to California, I moved to L.A. And I moved to L.A. through Vela Burkhouse. Hmm. Uh, you, you know him? Mm-mm. He's um, He is a BJ, but he his, like, he's a BJ. But his thing is he actually has like a motion graphics house. Mm. right? And that's what he does. He does like touring visuals. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked in his studio for like a little while. Mm-hmm. And um, same deal. It's just like crazy hours super dedication yeah i don't know i like the i like the vibe up here much better personally in the I bay like, oh yeah absolutely yeah, yeah it's like new york i love to visit wouldn't want to live there yeah personally oh yeah i mean i won't get into the comparisons i mean i'm 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 rooted here in the bay but um i love visiting all my friends and family in la you know when i can it's funny i just got a call from uh, a good friend of ours Actually, I won't say his name, but uh, <laughs> he just had a project in New York that like went took a took a hard left, uh-huh. and like he uh, he was just we were talking about it. He was like, "Man, you know, it's like it's so aggro out there, and like yeah. you know, the unions are so crazy, and and the clients they you know they'll say they want one thing, and you give it to them, and then they're like, I actually wanted this other thing, and then." Mm. All of these things is just like triggering memories for me of the East Coast and how <laughs> it is to work out there and to live out there. I'm just like, man, things are chill out here. I like working with East Coasters on the West Coast because East Coasters <laughs> are still like, they're still like kind of hustling, you know, mm-hmm. they're like, no, you know, they give you zero, uh, zero bullshit. Yeah. However, there's like softened a little bit 
you know, it's just such a hard edge out there. Yeah, I, uh, you're familiar with I-Beam, that whole, that whole crew? No. I-Beam was, a, or still is, but, you know, there, there's definitely, like, you know, these, these groups, um, change over, over the years, um. Are they New York-based? New York, yeah. That was, that was something that I really, I, I, I applied to go to work at I-Beam, you know, I think it was, like, 2005 or so. And uh, I was going, I was going through a lot at that time, and I, I was actually based in Berlin at that time. Um, and you spent uh, a lot of t- time in Europe. I don't spend a lot of time anymore, um, but I have. I've not, I mean, a lot of time, not not like not like years or anything, but yeah, you know, um, Berlin has a special place in my heart for sure. Berlin's a cool city, man. Yeah, a lot of people are there. I mean, I would say when I go to Ber- when I go to Berlin, it's like oh everybody's here what the heck this is where everyone went uh, for these lot, days a lot of black turtlenecks yeah, yeah. <laughs> well there's just like people able to live and think about their art in a different way than here uh, the bay is so brutal when it comes to time and money yeah uh, you really like I mean it's a hustle it's a hustle like like no other um, just living here I mean my, my studio rent in Emeryville you know from the moment I moved in, actually, did you did you ever? We didn't know each other when we had a space on Market Street, right? No. So no. this is this is a, yeah. We called it. A, it was like all sorts of names, but it was there. There was a sign up on the front that said "Limited Group," and then but this we also called it Shiny Lab because we had like you know. Ushani. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is that where Ushani came from? No, it was before that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we had this shared workspace. I, uh, I remember finding it on Craigslist, totally dilapidated, across the street from Twitter, oh, wow. twelve forty two Market Street. And uh, we originally rented that space. I must have told you the story before. But no. We got we got that space for eighteen hundred dollars a month for two thousand square feet. Wow! And and, uh, and we crammed maybe like six people in there, all paying you know a couple hundred bucks. Wow! Yeah, it was great. I mean, so many people came through there. We we I had. Um, you know, people in Moonlight just come come through just for a couple of days, or like grab, grab a desk and stay through. We had um, just fam, you know, like huge, huge. We had that space for about six years, so we got that place, eighteen hundred bucks, uh, two thousand square feet. When we moved out in twenty ten, I believe Twitter had just moved in across the street. Guess how much the rent was? Just guess. Five thousand. Eight thousand. No. Let's put the difference. Six thousand. Yeah, they wanted six six. Damn man. Yeah, and it's like okay, all right, we're out. Bye. <laughs> this 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 whole place costs less than that. Yeah. This whole and yeah, I feel like the the labs is is a very similar vibe. Where mm-hmm. It's just like, it's cheap. It's um, it's comfortable and it's the hub of a community. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. I think that 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 was a real big feeling, um, the uprooted feeling is something that's really common um, when you talk to um, anybody who's been through a collective space in the Bay. Yeah. Just getting just completely wrecked. I mean, it's not specific to the Bay, but just being uprooted is a really common feeling that that we have here. And it, it's it, there's the disdain toward, like, you know, obviously the blanket-turned tech community and just real estate in general. Um, so that, you know, going back to the hustle of time and, time and money, is that's real, really the the hardest battle uh, for the Bay. Um, it goes without saying, this is almost like old news, 
if you're in the Bay, like this conversation is just like boring at this point. Well, no, but, I, mean, uh, you know, I haven't talked to anybody else about that on this podcast hmm. and it's a, it's a really important topic. It's um, because it affects everyone. It's almost like we've all had the same experience. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like there's no need to talk about it because we know it's like, yeah, of course we all feel uprooted. Like how else would you feel? You know? But it's like <laughs> people outside the Bay, I don't, you know, I think that this is a very unique I know it's happening in New York, kind of. Yeah. LA's uh, got a lot of space, so it's happening there, but maybe in a less intense way. Things happen so fast here because we have such a small area to deal with. Right. Well, I feel like LA is also on the upswing. It is, yeah. It's interesting to see which cities are. Well, various areas of LA. I mean, you can can start looking at certain areas and be like, oh, wow, okay, Culver City. Well, we have the downtown. And also Silicon Beach, and we got all the tech down there. Yeah. What, are they, what are they calling the whole the, the streaming thing? They call it a oh god Fang. You hear this term? Fang. Fang. Yeah. So Fang is like Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Huh. Uh, talking about how these tech companies have so much capital and power to rent out the production studios just on like a like a, a basis that doesn't require them to be to care about schedule. They just sort of blanket blanket these the, the schedule so it makes it much small harder for smaller production uh, groups to like even get studio time wow yeah so they there's a, down in la down in la yeah oh, that's interesting. so no, like I there's an influx that. of of that's how that, that that's a big change um in what tech is doing i mean you know google aka you know youtube alphabet or you want to call it a lot of production, a lot of, a lot of production happening, especially, you know, and Netflix and Amazon, they all have their own production. It's really crazy. Like, I mean, to, to use a, an overused term, like late stage capitalism <laughs> to be a, like, to observe what's happening. You know, these companies have become the de facto governments in a way they provide a lot of the same services that governments did provide. They're definitely like such a huge financial force. They, it's almost like the weather. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like it, it's a it's a force mm-hmm. of nature, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, they arguably don't even really have that tight control. I mean, there's so many people working for those those groups. It's not like this one monolithic thing. It's just like a ton of of managers and sub managers, and you know, people who are they all have their own agendas and they're all kind of their own personalities. So. My experience working with Google has been just incredibly like boring and uh, conservative company. Do you know what I mean? Like when I do work for Google, I, it's I've always I, I feel the pushback against doing things that are new or different. Yeah. The resi- that was res- that big corporate resistance to doing anything cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Yeah, I mean it depends. I mean Google is like a entity that is 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 a very faceless sort of fragmented modular entity, right? And so I you, think I've been I've yeah. experienced it on like their marketing. Yeah. End. So you're seeing a certain fragment exactly. of Exactly. The um, architectural thing, we're doing a project for them now, which is like the mm-hmm. big chandelier thing in their new campus and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Yeah, we want, you know, we showed them some cool new tech and they're like, "Yeah, we want that." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I have friends in the securities area of Google is just like fascinating yeah. so like some some teams are just like amazing and and uh, you know a lot of the engineering teams are but you know as, as a as a company I can understand that I mean the size of Google and also the way Google operates when we say Google these days I mean are we talking about Alphabet I think, so, yeah. I think we're talking about Alphabet though I mean Google is 
okay. what is Google? What is it's Google? It's an advertising company. We have to be really careful about this. Like, right. This is this is not you know Google might have been something else uh, when it was it was building itself. Um, I worked at Google actually. I worked in Google in two thousand for less than eight months <laughs> uh, when I came back up to the Bay from Los like Angeles. Google, Google must have been like an amazing. I mean, I'm sure it, it is still, still is. an amazing. Oh, there's people, Google. amazing talent. I mean, incredible talent. Um, any of these companies have incredible talent. Yeah. Yeah. Holy cow, Facebook. Incredible talent on Facebook. Um, whether or not we're, we're these companies that allow this talent to flourish in a way that's positive for the rest of us to be, to be seen. Um, it's interesting to watch people's posts about, um, you know, every time there's a job opening at Facebook or Google on the list, on the Ushine mm. list, everybody's like, oh, the picketing. Know, oh my God. Yeah, man. People are up in arms about it. It's crazy. Yeah, I think that's coming from a certain amount of that. That that is contentious. Like I think that's that's a huge amount of. Uh, yeah, there's there there there's a lot to unpack there. Um, it is a privilege to work at a company like that, of course. And to deny anybody that privilege to work at their to work there, you got to check yourself to, to to deny someone else to that that if 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 you have an option to work at Facebook and pull into two twenty, and you're not going to take that job. I mean that. If you, you have a family to feed or a life to, to, to support, um, that's that's a job. I mean... Well, it's so hard to make a living outside of those mm-hmm. those businesses mm-hmm. in the Bay Area. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. You're like, I don't know how you have kids here. It's like, my brother has a kid. I don't know how he does it. It's like, less and less people are having kids. Yeah. <laughs> I know, man. It's an oddity. It's like, you yeah. see a child, you're like, man, you better put a leash on that thing. <laughs> I think there's leash um, laws in the city. <laughs> yeah, what's that? Oh, it's my kid. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 too bad, really. I mean, I think we're, it's not a very family-oriented space. Um, you know, if, you, if you expand outside of, of the city, you go into East Bay, Berkeley, but there are um, definitely pockets. Yeah, you know, yeah. So you definitely go to pockets. You're like, oh yeah, yeah. There's tons of kids here. But um, yeah, my parents were much more carefree, and they grew up. They they were they you know were here at that time. Yeah, you know, it's like the great squeezing, time. man. This is like a really interesting time. Mm-hmm. It's like you look at the 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 level of of the the water level of currency is just dropping. You know, it's squeezing everybody into into more tight circumstances. But uh, it's cool to travel. You know, mm. it's like. I love, uh, my, my ideal situation would be to travel for six months to really be, um, like multinational, so, you know, post-national. Yeah. I mean, the question of air travel comes into play, of course. It's so cheap um, though. It I mean, is. In the grand but... scheme of things, when, if, yeah. if, depending on what work you do and what projects you're doing, you can, I see more and more people doing that. Hmm. More and more people who are taking jobs all over the world and including their air travel as a small per- percentage of their project budget. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, yeah, great. I'll go and work in Cape Town for three months. Mm-hmm. And then that flight is just going to be a line item in the project. You know, so it's almost like the internet has democratized being able to connect with projects all over the place mm-hmm. because, you know, what is a project, but somebody who has a need somewhere else or anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then if you have a matching skill set, then yeah, oh, you're, yeah, you're no, you're no less qualified than anybody else just because you live in a certain area mm-hmm. necessarily. 
yeah the yeah it's, it's shrunk in the world in a way um yeah the i think the thing that i was thinking about in terms of travel air travel that was just like resources oh my god it's yeah. it's uh yeah that's a huge a big, problem yeah big question um or not even a question it's the reality of of uh you know expend we, we're expend, yeah expending time traveling of course but there's also the pollution and all this but well, you're yeah. talking about the, the impact on the climate mm-hmm. so my question is hmm. the the things that we do to to survive right in that like the things that we do to make a living to express ourselves creatively to live a fulfilling life the these support mechanisms right those support mechanisms are dirty because of the 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 system that we live in mm. and i there's arguments to say that by abstaining from these things right like if you if you as an individual completely stop traveling by air that will probably do nothing in the grand scheme of things because there is an ever-increasing portion of people on the planet who are able to afford air travel so where where one person stops on conscientious grounds 10 more people start Hmm. because it's cheaper and i think that there's a societal shift that has to happen and will be forced to happen where these systems change, right? Because we mm-hmm. can have, we, we could have um, clean air travel, right? I mean, you could make a battery powered plane. <laughs> I mean, you could, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's physically possible. Um, you can't make a jet with, with, uh, with batteries, but you can definitely make it with um, uh, sources of renewable fuel, mm-hmm. right? So like green fuel, that's, um, yeah, biofuel. So that's that's a way that you could create a fleet of aircraft that was uh, not spewing additional carbon into the atmosphere. So those systems need to change, right? The, the same way that plastics could be oh, yeah. created in a way that's biodegradable. And yes, everybody should try to, to use as few single-use plastics as possible, but that is not going to solve the problem Uh, what's going to solve the problem is a change in the industrial base that changes the way that these plastics are manufactured not and i I think it's it's a i think it's a disservice and it's also like a it's this dirty mental trick that industries played on the world where they've tried to push the responsibility to fix these problems onto the end user and the end user should be making responsible decisions but it's industry right that is fucking everything over and <laughs> yeah. it's like that's Reaching. where the change needs to come so, yeah yeah so how would you do that <laughs> i don't know um single-use plastics uh I've, I've thought a lot about this i mean straight up banning them uh, would be one option but um well, it's, it's, and heavily heavily taxing them i mean like when we when we talk about like microplastics God, I just read something. I, I can't. I can't back this up because I don't have a link or anything. But like, I was just like reading something about how there's like millions more. I read the same article. Microplastics than we thought. I was, I was just. And did you the did same you article. know that if you're wearing like polyester clothing, like that rubs off? No. Yeah. I didn't. That's plastic. Yeah, yeah. And like you know, there's so many things that are on an industrial level, like you're saying, um, 
and, and, and being, it's, it, I think it's not, um, it's not a solution to expect a consumer to even have that wherewithal. No, the consumer is stressed out. The consumer is poor, tired, and, and, and not able to even have the bandwidth to decide if uh, they're going to buy something that is wrapped in plastic or not because they're going to buy the thing that's cheaper, especially if you're poor. Well, it's just like the EULA argument, right? End mm. user license agreements. It's like, we're going to use Facebook and we're going to click yes, right? On the, the do you agree <laughs> to this? You know what I mean? It's, you use these free softwares you use the products that are presented to you that are in front of your face, like m- most people. And to expect most people to educate themselves on every topic that they interact with in the world is unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And it, there's, we're headed towards um, like an inflection point where, where it's, it's like a, I'm an optimist. I think that shit will, shit will go serious side, seriously sideways. It already is. We we're are sideways. It. Yeah, and shit will get worse. Yeah, and I mean, I believe that will create the impetus for people to wake up and mm-hmm. and really create these changes—the fundamental changes that are gonna make uh, make our situation improve. Because we'll be forced to. Yeah, I don't know if you you knew this, but I I was working on some. Uh, supply chain um industrial manufacturing stuff for the last 10 years like kind of like outside of the art world and the music world as 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 a as a project we were doing um a uh, origami based uh paper uh, packaging solution cool and we were working with you know a large tech company um to replace a lot of the styrofoam which was banned in San Francisco, thank, oh my God, I can't believe it took so long to do that. But start, but polystyrene, expanded polystyrene. That shit is so nasty. It's awful. Like the fact that we use that, I mean, it's a cheapness thing, right? Yeah. So but it also um, gets into your food. It's just oh gross, yeah. man. Oh yeah. Like the um, endocrine disruptors that it just like leaches into everything when you burn it. Oh my God. Well, that's then then it's uh, dioxins. Yeah, it's 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 toxic. So um, we were working on a replacement. Um, out of paper, you know, which is biodegradable. Yeah. And the the project was fascinating because here we have a huge global system. Basically, when we're looking at a, a supply chain system, it's possibly one of like the most opaque and insurmountable systems that we have. Those, if, if, if we, I, I wish there was more people uh, looking at those systems and, and coming up with solutions around those systems because those are the, the really inferior old school uh, well, they're technologies. Like, they're giant ships, man. They yeah. take so slow, long. Yeah. Slow. One thing that I'm really. No, sorry. I'm like, I'm like steering this car all over the place. Sorry about that. Um, uh, that's what this is all about. Man. So let's, one thing I really am interested in, <laughs> one thing lately I've been interested in, 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 interested in is this concept of deep time and time beyond our own lifetimes, right? I'm sorry. What deep time. It's time beyond our own lifetimes. Yeah, yeah. You know, very, you know we can think you know, what, what we're doing tomorrow, what we're doing next week, maybe what we're doing next year. Five years starts to become a little stressful. Ten years, we don't know. Especially if you're in the Bay Area, you're like, oh, Salesforce is going to be, never mind. But anyway, um, when 
we look at these issues, uh, generations have to solve these problems. I don't think it can be solved in one single generation. Maybe. No, I no, mean, it, you know, if we well, look at like accelerated things, that's, you know. I think that's like the, one of the fundamental flaws of humanity, right? Is mm-hmm. that we think in like these generational chunks of time. Well, contemporary humanity. If you look at like older historic sites like have you, have you ever heard of Chaco Canyon down okay there? yes so when we start true. talking about these places you realize that these are built over about six or seven generations right. I know it's a different time I know it's a different space but these are still humans doing this I think right no that's I mean, actually a great point um, people can have that can have that focus yeah just, well, like, what, what does it take to focus the focus well, that many generations we've got landlords these days and we've got rentier capitalism right so I think that, that is a huge component um, I'm really interested to see where Berlin is going to go with that free, with the freeze that they're doing. I think, I, I mean, I wish I knew. Are um, they doing a rent freeze? I think there's something happening in Berlin where they're freezing um, a rent. Oh, thank God, because you can see Berlin going yeah. the same way as the Bay. Yeah, Tesla's opening a factory there, actually. Are they? Yeah. Interesting. So we're seeing, and that's great, though. That's production. I mean, that's fabrication. Yeah. So when we displace communities due to you know, really landlording <laughs> that, how can we, how can we change that? I mean, yeah, that, that, that system is that really system. the root of uh, yeah. what the, the, the phenomena of dis- displacement, mm-hmm. right? It comes it's down a, to a huge part. the I mean, landlording system. Yeah. And we look at, you know, things that enable that, like, you know, Airbnb, and peer space and these, these types of things. Oh man, Airbnb has been like a, mm-hmm. it's crazy to go mm-hmm. all over the world and to see how Airbnb affects, mm-hmm. um, and I'm rent rented communities. And I've been in I've been in a position of being a, a landlord in in the sense that I've never owned property, but mm-hmm. um, I've been in a situation where I'm you know for example in my certain workspaces that I've managed, dealt with tenants, tenant landlord relationship. Um, yeah, me too. You begin to look at just the numbers. It's 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 very easy to fall into saying. Oh, I'm gonna rent. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna raise that rent on you know, next month because we just gotta make a little more money here. It's totally easy. Look at the, we're, we're charging underneath the the standard rate. It's like once you begin um, prioritizing income with rent, yeah, you dehumanize. You know, you you become the 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 tenant becomes part of the the, the financial equation, not yeah. a person anymore. Right. So that's <laughs> this is where it's at i mean landlords are just you know they're there they got the money sign emoji face you know uh especially in the bay yeah. or no no excuse me the tongue what's the one with the the money coming out the tongue face with the money yeah, yeah that yeah, with yeah. that one yeah that, that's like it, no you're, you're absolutely right that's that's and an investment too you know when we look at um real estate as a um investment i mean the foreign investment in san francisco is like Incredible. So you're basically so safer problems. storing your money in real estate than a bank. It, uh, yes. And there's a lot of property in San mm-hmm. Francisco, especially that's owned from people abroad mm-hmm. who are using it as a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what's the solution to that? It seems like that's a political problem. And to the same way you, it's mm-hmm. hard or unrealistic to expect end consumers to, to always do the 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 right thing ecologically it's unrealistic to expect landlords to do the right thing mm-hmm. financially unless you have to create a system 
that does not incentivize people to push people out of their homes. Mm -hmm. And that that's a political problem. That's not necessarily, I mean, yes, it's a moral problem. Like I am a landlord Mm -hmm. and we have very low rent Mm -hmm. and it's okay. As long as I'm, as long as our bases are covered, then I feel good. Mm -hmm. Right. But I don't own this building. Mm -hmm. I rent it. You're in the middle. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's yeah, man, it's, but do you, do you find to... that this, do you find that your position dominates a lot of basically your existence? I mean, it must, right? Your, your, your position as a landlord, this is your, oh, I mean, logistically, just logistically living oh in the God, Bay. Yes. You have to, right? Yes. You're, you're, in, you're aware of your position. I think if, if we didn't have this situation, mm-hmm. I would have left the Bay because That's right. That's right. there's no way. I see this tornado around us, mm-hmm. right? And everybody I live with, we we see the tornado, and mm-hmm. it's just like, oh my god, please don't. Can I ask how long your lease is here? Um, how much longer you got this lease? A couple of years, but it's it's indefinitely That's nice. renewable, and we have a, a indefinitely renewable. You have that in writing? No, just kidding. No. <laughs> I mean, we have a, we have an agreement with our, okay, okay. with the owner of the building where we have like a it increases by said number of hundreds of dollars per year. And oh, it's that's nice. Very realistic. So you have an amicable relationship. With we you. have a great relationship. with That's our good. That's good. Yeah. And you have a, this is a freestanding building. You don't have other tenants in this building. Uh, it's just you building, guys. It's just... You know, this building is attached next door. Oh, is okay. a catering company, and then surrounding us is Bayer Pharmaceuticals. And our landlord right. owns those buildings. Wow. So I don't know what he's doing with those. I'm sure that... Pff, making money. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> sure. I mean, I feel like we're kind of like his pet artists. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like I get he, it. He, he's stoked, you know, he, he's stoked that we're, we're doing well and, you good, know... Good. It, it has been a huge factor in, in allowing us to grow mm-hmm. and, and exist. And Yeah, it's fortunate you have that relationship. Uh, dealing with a tyrannical landlord is one of the worst experiences. Your whole your whole existence gets ripped out, you know, underneath, from underneath you. Um, yeah. And then you're having to deal with, um, yeah, the transient nature of, of the Bay. Is that uh, what happened to you guys in the city? Uh, we were preparing for it. I mean, we, you know, I, I, it was inevitable. Mm-hmm. It wasn't some, it wasn't some illusion. You know, when, once Twitter came in, I was yeah. like, it's, there goes the neighborhood. Right. Once you start seeing people walk around with their like tan leather shoes and like tucked in shirts, you're like, okay. It's over. Yeah, man. The sign, the writing <laughs> on the wall. It's over. Or the, the, yeah, once, once the... You know what's interesting about that neighborhood, though, is just how uh, downtown San Francisco, uh, the homeless and street population, I would say, is way more volatile. gotten worse. Yeah. It's, it's uh, awful. I mean, you don't and have so, to live in San Francisco to see that, man. It is crazy. One of the, that is a systemic, potent problem that tech is a complete hypocrisy around. Like tech, as saying tech, tech implying that it's 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 making the world better than it was. It's just it's fueling I think, this. I think, it's that, just, I think that that illusion has passed. Yeah, of course. I, I think oh, that yeah, we, I mean, we've passed the honeymoon with big tech, and it's. You know, it's, it is, uh, the, the, I don't expect tech to actually solve that problem either. I don't mean to say that because we can't band aid a systemic problem. Nah. You can't come in and say, uh, problem solved. 
Um, yeah, it's late stage capitalism, man. The yeah, money but has the, been sucked to the top, and the, there are serious swaths of the population that have been left behind. Yeah, and uh, the, the inequality, the inequality of the visible inequality is is off the chain. I've never I've never seen it this bad. Um, and there's even members of our community that are you know dealing with that. And you know, shout out to um, JT who was. Um, hopefully she's getting a new housing situation, but she's stuck in that, um, homeless, um, situation as we speak, um, beneath the, you know, once you're beneath the, the line, it's incredibly hard to come above the line. And she's one of the most talented people I know. Do you know her? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've never met her. I see her post. One of the most, one of the most influential people, uh, in the life for sure. What's her, what's. Maybe I should do an episode. With yeah, you, yeah, you should. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm curious. I'd, I'd love to know more. I, I've. Yeah, you should. I know a lot of people. Follow who up. Are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah. So I, I, I see that, you know, and it's it's a it's a deep deep wound to San Francisco and California, and just a deep sadness that I feel gets exacerbated by a visible inequality and it's it's not a future that i want or that we want to see which is investment property empty investment property above people living on the street yeah which is what it is especially like like, look at down at mission bay with that new you've been down there lately yeah oh my god look how fast that came up i know it's all glass and metal looks like clip art from revit that they just installed like it's like incredible the architecture the architecture is really you know it's, it's designed for getting it up as fast as possible of course like metal glass cement it's like it's modernist just efficient brutality yeah 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 it's yeah. crazy man and that's a really interesting way to look at it empty investment properties above people living in the street and that's yeah. that is what Big that's parts our of San Francisco look like. And yeah, I think that's a that's a systemic problem. Oh, and we have our community who are rent control trapped too. So they have these great they have spots in SF. Yeah. they've been there for maybe nine years, and they can't move within the city anymore because they're in rent control. So they're used to paying a certain rate. So they're stuck too. Right. So they have to stay, uh, or you know, move out. Basically, get out what, of the city. What do you think about rent control? Oh gosh, I mean, it's it, it works for uh, you know for for communities, but once you once you begin to have these um, situations where certain parts of the neighborhood are not rent control or based on a certain date, um, you know, I, I don't. I don't necessarily think that rent control in the end at this time is is helpful because people, like I said, you can create this problem of people getting stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's like when I was in Emeryville with no rent control, it was like all I, it was like all I wanted. I was like, I can't do this. You know, when I get yeah. the ten percent increase in rent, I was like, oh my god, they can do this. Yeah. Um, well, ten percent—that's not even that bad. You know, <laughs> seriously, man. You, you know, you know the Vulcan. Yeah. You, you know the Vulcan. Yeah. They're scrambling for for rent control because uh, the Vulcan's being bought 
it's being oh, sold wow. by their current, you know, and it's they're just like, man, you know, can you imagine that the Vulcan is like, for people who don't know, the Vulcan is a is a warehouse mm-hmm. in East Oakland that houses probably two hundred artists, mm-hmm. and it's almost exclusively artists, mm-hmm. and it's been around since like the eighties, mm-hmm. right? It's for a long time. People have lived there for like thirty years, mm-hmm. and uh, they're all looking at eviction based on increased rent. Right. You know, and it's just like, fuck, man. If the Vulcan goes... What are they going to do? Well, I don't, I don't know. Oh, they're just fighting well, They're fighting it. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a lawsuit, and they're, oh, okay. they're, they're fighting the good fight. It's just definitely... <laughs> I mean, it's... The thing no, is, dude, if, if it gets hard. sold and it gets turned into, like, upscale apartments or whatever, then, you know, East Oakland, man. Yeah, In well, the heart of, like, like, by NIMBY. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy to go to West Oakland and see. Yeah, West Oakland's see amazing. The, it's almost like too amazing. Like you know, when salt water and fresh water collide, yeah. you can see the difference in the streams. It's like getting off the BART in West Oakland. It's like you've got you've got like all the tech workers from San Francisco oh, flowing into their their yeah mip, mip condos, and then yeah, it's you know West Oakland. It's like mm-hmm. uh, the heart of black culture in the Bay Area, you know, Black Panthers, and you know, it's got such a rich history, and it's mm-hmm. just like, what the fuck is going on, man? I think that's the root of a lot of people are moving out of the Bay, and you know, if I think about it, it's, I, I don't want to be in the Bay permanently forever, I want to be <laughs> like, I want to have like one foot in the Bay, mm. you know, it's a great place to to be and have a business, but it's also like, there's just some really weird glaring like problems it's like okay it's a grinder what are we doing about this yeah witnessing witnessing change in the bay is is amazing i mean the 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 speed at which things happen is 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 the most incredible thing yeah um it moves faster than i would say for people in our industry the new media industry there's a lot of opportunity here there's a lot of companies that are willing to fund cool projects and and cool uh cool ideas mm-hmm. you know really it's like here what you got like new york chicago you've got like leviathan mm. in chicago they're doing cool stuff but new york i can't even count how many there's so many cool companies in mm-hmm. new york that are doing and like half the shiny list is from new york it mm-hmm. feels like it anyway mm-hmm. yeah it's um san francisco has always been that gold rush city yeah. It's a rush toward, you know, the goal. Gold. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's gold in those waters. Oh, yeah. Uh, or those hills, there's whatever they say. Tech gold. Yeah. Uh, and um, that, 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 that's pervasive. You know, that, that, that's sort of what we're in is like the rush. There's always a rush. Um, um, so we see the city change constantly. You know, 90s, 2000s, 10s. Um, was it like this in the, the the first tech boom I was not necessarily as close to it uh, at that time I was more you know um, tied to the music scene at that time I was uh, I was witnessing tech but you were here in I was here yeah, yeah I was yeah. here um, I got here at like the like in the trough between the two tech rooms. Yeah, that was that was when I kind of I, I I came really as an adult started living 
uh, here in the mid to late 2000s. So like after 2006 is when I really, so kind of like pre-financial um, crisis and then into the financial crisis and then out. So we were kind of in the, yeah, the, the lower. Yeah, I got here in like 2010. Yeah. 2011. So yeah, you remember when Market Street was kind of this like dead zone. Yeah. yeah that was that, right around then it was starting to pick up a little. And there were like, again. a ton of cool artists in the city, man. The city yeah. was where it was at for yeah. like a couple years. Yeah. <laughs> That's what there, there I got is, here. It was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, well, there you go. You've been here long enough to see how fast things can change. Oh my god. That's yeah. something that you know other that uh, very few cities go through is that amount, that speed of change in so little time. It's almost like hold on because you're just gonna get like swept. Yeah. Um, it was around that time that I got, that I was working with gray area. Um, and that felt really great because it was like, okay, finally we can like, we, we can, can we have a, we have a, uh, a home. You founded gray area. No, so. Josette is, Josette is the founder of gray area, but um, you were a partner? we were the first artists in residence. So okay. we were part of the group that, um, started that space in, the Tenderloin. We were on 15 Taylor Street, right across from the, right across from the, uh, I want to say, what, the Warfield, right about, right, right, right yeah. there. And, That's uh, such a cool space, man. Yeah, now it's, I think it's the SF Tape, the Experimental Music center the tape center or i forget what it is now but um, yeah that, that's what it is now if you ever want to get a lot of germans together in one place <laughs> <laughs> germans <laughs> yeah man every time there's like an art show or like a gallery it's like <laughs> all these berlin oh, artists oh, and stuff. oh like i go by and it's just like okay man got my black turtleneck oh you mean black a, jeans you mean I'm, americans I living mean, in Berlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Expat. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, those those are special times. I mean, that that um, whole community is is yeah very dear to me. And it's a cool scene. Yeah. Um, Joe T is the one who introduced me to that. I didn't even know. Yeah. Like I didn't know uh-huh. anything about that, and then um, started hanging out with Joe T, and she was taking me to like art shows there. Mm-hmm. That was cool. Yeah, I met Joe T. Um, was that some meetup? I think uh, it was a shiny meetup at uh, yeah, it's just some random office somewhere, some tech office. And we met. It's like, hey, um, when are we doing another shiny meetup? I don't know. I, I we don't have a space, but you should do a host host it here. Just to say, hey, come over. I mean, you should I'm host down. it. Yeah, do it. Waiting for the. The, the leader, no, the the founder, no. I, that that's the thing. I, I, there's no, there's no, there's nothing. It's like leading. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm just teasing. Yeah, I get yeah. It. I, I totally. I mean, it's such a beautiful community, man. It's well, it's self. Like, it's 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 something that's just kind of grown on its own, um, and it's due to sort of the quality of people on the list yeah that, and it's incredible that is the it's team, fantastic it's like, i mean i people on that I, list I'm, I'm blown away by people on that list I, anytime I, just, I have a problem yeah i'm just like hey yeah what's going on it's yeah, like it's, pff, yep. incredible <laughs> um yeah i hope to see that list grow in we, we see it we're seeing it growing we're witnessing it growing you know in ways well, uh, in maturity it seems it's like over a thousand members is it there. yeah i mean it's it's an, it's it's um i don't know who's on that list anymore I mean, I'll be honest. Um, I don't think anybody does. There's no, no list. No. There's no list of the list. No. There's no <laughs> list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also people's interests change. Yeah. You know, so, uh, 
you know, that, that list started actually around processing. Um, Ryan and Mike and Robert Hodgen and, you know, the people living in the Bay, Tom Carden, um, JT. Uh, we, were, we were all around the Bay at that time, and um, it was just a little group group. I was like, hey, let's get together and hang out. And it was, it was kind of just to get us together in person. That's really what it was about. Yeah. And creating a space in person to kind of talk about what we're working on in a, a very open and safe way. It's like, like a show and tell. About, man, right? It's mm-hmm. like a step along the path to meeting in person. That's right. It's it was like a facilitating a facilitating an in-person meeting. Yeah. It was never really about an online thing. Um, these days that we're so we're so all over the, the globe. Uh you know, there's no, no it's when hard. we say it's community, like, I mean, is it, a, I mean, when we say community, um, I consider all new media arts as my, my community, mm-hmm. you know, like I do, we were talking about that earlier, mm-hmm, how like mm-hmm. you need, you know, as social animals, we need to have that sense of community. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's like your community is like the type of interest group, you know, the people that subscribe to the same interest group that you do. Mm-hmm. It's very online based. Most of my friends anyway. And like, for me, it's new media arts, light art. Yeah, you know that that's those are the kind like whenever I go overseas, I try and find those people. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what this podcast is about: is trying to talk to those people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like we speak a common language, right? Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, I'm always trying to find an edge that I didn't peer over before. Yeah, and for me, you know, I like I said, I've been you know involved in music for a long, long time. Um, various types of music but as far as uh my own practice when i am around um musicians especially electronic musicians who have been doing it for um a long time i'm i'm and, I, and there's that there's that feeling i get when i when i witness a, the gen, the genius of somebody in their in their art form and i'm like i have no idea what they're doing like i, I can't even piece it together and I don't necessarily want to figure it out but I know that there is a um a creative uh and artistic prowess that's being displayed here and and, and it's 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 affecting me and I I want to just be around it like that that and so I seeking those it's the wizards man. yeah it's the it, wizard uh, phenomena absolutely. so there's it's it's absolutely. all about what we do what all of us in this community we try and make these little like magical experiences mm-hmm. where people who view it can't quite figure out how it's being done because that it's like the it's it's the the magic of being a wizard mm. right and uh there there's such an allure to that yeah know? i mean magic is a big part of working with technology um yeah to technology say to say magic. that it's actually logic is is it might be a way like a, lo- a logic um gate for example on a technical level can be described as such but when we're we talk as, about uh, elect, when we talk about electricity and, and movement of an, when we talk about the whole stack, yeah, um, to me it's 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 magic, um, especially when we talk about expression. Technology advanced and what was that quote? Yeah, like yeah. technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think that everybody who's like a, a real new media arts enthusiast <laughs> is trying to create that magical experience. That's the art, right? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and uh, uh, that comes back to me saying about systems engineering you know being being knowledgeable about 
as a generalist, a full stack system is is like ingredients for an experience. And yeah. and being familiar with all these things doesn't mean that I'm necessarily the I don't consider myself in any way the best at any of these situations, but I know a lot and enough to know that if I did have a problem in a certain area, I know exactly who to, to talk to. Man, that's how <laughs> and I've that's, found success my yeah. entire life. It's like, I'm good. I'm, I go deep in a certain, like a couple mm-hmm. areas, but really it's just understanding how things generally work. Yeah. Be a generalist. Yeah, a generalist and also um, striving for, you know, there's there's a lot of, uh, you know, when, when in, in any sort of, technical field there, there there's a little competition you know like oh someone knows and, and you know someone knows something and they might hold it over you or, or these types of competitive natures which is just inherent um i don't find and, that uh, but, but too much no and i, I avoid that um yeah and I, I think actively avoiding that is kind of key as well yeah um you get a lot more by humbly admitting how little you know yeah especially in programming or any of these tech things because you don't know anything i'm sorry like no one knows anything about this stuff you might think you're a programmer but oh my god like when you're always going to meet someone who's who's 10 light years ahead of you and 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 when i say ahead it's not like a linear scale it's just more about like having their own experience their own trials and tribulations like you were saying having you know your finely tuned like clusterfuck detector yeah yeah, you know like (laughs) you know like knowing that when you're entering into a new project, like how big of a clusterfuck is this going to be? Right. And, and just being preparing yourself for that. Yep. And maybe like, there's a loss of innocence. There's a loss of naivete that you may have gone through to get there because you've been burned a million times. Right. So that in excel- itself is extremely valuable to have, you know, and, and I always like thinking of my, my good friend, uh, David, uh, when, when he's talking about working on projects, cause he's always talking about like a heist. <laughs> so, so he's like thinking like, you know, Oh, who's man. who's the team members yeah yeah it's like oh absolutely. we need him we need her we need her we need him because yep. these people are the best we yep. only can have the best at yep. what they do and they're i have a fine they have a certain set of skills and you get and, and if you can align those people just right um that's really like again part of the magic too you have you break people. any vaults oh my god Dude, and it's also so a, much fun too when you work with people that are when you work with passionate creative hackers like just when I say hacker, just someone who's n- not afraid to break things. Yeah. And, and, and comfortable breaking things. Comfortable, like, not having a set path. Being around, I mean, it, 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 I mean, it really is rooted in um, some of the ethos, you know, the, the punk rock ethos, uh, you know, maybe part of that, that a culture of, of um you know, no genres, no definition, you know, like, I, think I love that. It's, there's a lot of anarchists, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of like, it's, yes, it's punk rock ethos. It's also like burner ethos, mm-hmm. right? It's like oh, most of the people that I'm, I'm, that are in the sphere of, you know, my mm-hmm. existence are, they fall into those kind of like technology misfits. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't the people playing football in high school. That's for sure. You know, you know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. it was, it's kind of like these weird hacker. Autodidactic, self-teachers. Yes. Uh, people who are, people who are teachers. Yes. Those are great to be around. People who have knowledge are not willing, who are willing to ex- spread the knowledge. Yeah. Um, again, you know, the, you know, uh, the rising tide rises all ships. Well, collaboration is a constructive mm-hmm. energy and, and mm-hmm. competition is a destructive energy. And that, I, 
really tried to carry that hmm. philosophy. Wait, say that again? Uh, collaboration. Collaboration is a constructive energy, okay. right? Um, but competition is a destructive energy. Mm-hmm. So when you're competing with another group, you're spending a lot of energy, but that energy spent is not growing. It, it, it could be holding somebody else down, but it's not necessarily growing either of the two parties involved. However, if you're collaborating with somebody, if you find a way to collaborate, then that is growing both both groups or all entities involved. I might have not talked to you about my Iron Chef co- uh, competition format for, for, <laughs> for hacking. No, you haven't. Yeah, competition. I was just thinking about like a format in competition could be, can be really fun. Yeah, yeah. But, okay. but in, the, in the field, though, I agree with you. I'm right on that tip. That's, but... that's different. I would, I would Like a friendly competition, I think, is a form of collaboration. Yeah. 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 Well, defined rules, games. When right. you say game, yes. that's, that's competition. That's very healthy. Yeah. Um, when, when you have rules. Yeah. And you have, you have sportsmanship. Yes. But that doesn't. I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm but, talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a different. It's a different thing. Yeah, it's like, yeah. There's there's this kind of competition where it's just like it like it makes it so you don't want to talk to the other person because you're afraid of giving them your secret sauce or there's you know what I mean. It's, that's like business. Yeah. It's that's brutal. that's the that's brutal. the competition I'm talking about. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's very destructive. Whereas yeah, yeah, I, I think that uh, yeah, games are essential, man. Yeah, you games know, are like important. Having yeah. friendly competition that's that's healthy and that that yeah. can push both people to try and keep going faster yeah 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 like ping pong um code what is it python there's there's this there's this yeah python ping pong have you heard of this no i just someone who uh, is it like hacking games or hacking yeah it's like who can who can solve this problem with the least amount of characters or something like that oh wow uh in least amount of time or something like that i always thought it would be cool to like have like (laughs) <laughs> I've, I've written a few screen uh, treatments for this uh actually just just for fun uh to <laughs> see if i could is listening yeah yeah no no <laughs> yeah someone ha- yeah if someone's listening wants to take this go for it um although i have some suggestions about who should be like the the host and all this <laughs> and and first of all yeah I, I know who the host should be um but um the pan- we need judges in a panel of judges one of them definitely has to be an ai <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> I was thinking, you know, multiple teams doesn't have to be necessarily two, um, but it's done in the format of like Iron Chef with a secret ingredient. Yeah. And um, I was thinking it'd be really like fun to have these uh, problem sets displayed, and maybe you have like a list of ingredients. You know, maybe like one team can only use a certain programming language and a certain architect chip architecture, and another one has to use a different one. And then both of them have to use a secret ingredient. Maybe it's like, oh, you're on like, you know, it's actually like uh, a server that's uh, in another continent or something like that. Right. You have to hack through some like firewall or whatever. Um, But I thought it would be really, you know, kind of like a magic show too, you know, like a reveal. So like maybe like everybody who, every audience member that comes in with their phone, like at the end of it, like has their phones hacked or something. I don't know. Just, there's, there's a lot of like cool things that I was thinking. About. I can see that flying, man. You know, like, I mean, <laughs> just Mythbusters. Like there's, I think there's a huge, there's a huge untapped like interest in, in this kind of like technical, technical wizardry. And there's a lot of yeah. people out there who are very technically adept who would definitely watch a show like that. Yeah. Well, you know, like, when you look at uh, Hollywood's portrayal of hacking, 
Yeah. And you have like the numbers and the, the lines, everything like flying by and everything, the pop ups. It's it's hilarious. Mr. Robot, man. It was such a good show. It's pretty accurate though, right? Such a good show. Was it accurate? I haven't seen like the latest. I mean it wasn't inaccurate. I think no. it was, they took liberties, but I think that yeah. They did it like pretty accurately. Yeah, have you watched it? It's such uh, a good show. I've watched show. it a little bit. I, I should watch it. Um it's a great way to waste time. Yeah. You're on an airplane for like, I don't know, 15 hours yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. But really, like, if you're hacking, like, it's probably one of the most boring, like, <laughs> cinematic well, it's like, experiences. It's a soap opera that has hacking as a background. Yeah, I know, but like, in real life, if you were to really portray accurate. Oh, yeah. Like, you. <laughs> we just see like basically the terminal maybe like you know h top and you got some like net stat thing going or, i don't know what you're hacking what, 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 I don't well, tell you me. oh you know what it is characters. no it's calling up the customer service thing and saying like hey uh i i'm calling on behalf of uh, this executive and uh, i've lost my password could you just uh, yeah. reset the password what do they call that social engineering that's right right that's legit hacking yeah, well, that's course. like the most legit hacking. i was just gonna say man that's yeah, how most real easy. hacks really no. you know it's like spear phishing yeah. is social engineering it's like <laughs> hey uh... <laughs> yeah sending a phishing email yeah. no no you know I've got this grandmother who's trying to that's black hat you know, stuff get get 15 million dollars back into the country that she won in the lottery from the, the prince of Saudi Arabia <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's black hat stuff but yeah um, I think the show would be gray hat though you know, yeah, yeah, great. No, I think that's yeah. a great idea, man. We got approached to do a show. <laughs> we did, and it was yeah. Uh, oh, you did? We got approached to do a show. Wait, what? Like, yeah, man. What was the? What was it? It was like a reality style TV show, and uh, oh, they were gonna come man. in and feed us challenges. Really? Yeah, and we ended up turning it down, man. Uh-huh. Like after uh, going through the whole process of like you know meeting with the guys and blah blah blah, it just became abundantly clear that like. <laughs> That would literally become our lives for the next, like, yeah. we would not be a technology company anymore. Well, right? we would be like, visually, you would be one of them. Yeah, yeah, we would be like a TV. entertainment company. Yeah, exactly. Or not even a company anymore. You're right. You're not a company. Just a bunch of characters on a TV show. Yeah. Like, we talked about it as a group. We're like, you know, and there was no guarantee that it was actually going to go through. It was You're like, like, well, we're doing it. No, yeah. I'm kidding. Pitching it to the, to the, the <laughs> networks or whatever. It's just like, eh. I can't imagine, you know what, though? I really, that, that's definitely something I couldn't really see happening in the Bay too too easily. What's that? Like a reality show like that. Well, Mythbusters was in the Bay. Right? Oh, that's true. But yeah, that's true. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But not, not this type of like living in the house. Big Brother kind of. Oh. Jersey Shore meets... I don't know, man. There's a lot of co-living situations in the day. That's yeah, like, God. I think everybody I know has basically given up on the idea. Well, who of watches TV house? anymore, anyway? I guess that's the other thing. Who's going to watch the show? The, Who's this, the audience? This is absolutely yeah, it's like <laughs> no. the last gasp of like <laughs> no. te- the television medium. That's right. So where are you at with time on this thing? How long have we been talking? About two hours. No man. way. Yeah. Oh my god. We should probably wrap it. Okay. This was good though, man. This was, that was really awesome. Good. Yeah, yeah. Was really I hope fun. we, I hope we talked about something. We talked about everything. Okay, good. We were fucking all over the place. Good. It's great. That was great.